good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. But later in the program we'll have one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is to get candid feedback uh, by asking for it. We're also going to be chatting with Christina. We're going to be looking at some of those new innovative products. One of them, interesting ones, is a 3D printed house. Sounds interesting. We'll come for that one in a moment. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Lydia Blackmore, who is living with a family business and is a financial advisor. And we're going to look at uh, some advice for people living with a family business. Good afternoon, Lydia. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for joining us today. So, so, so how many members and generations of your family are involved with the business? Uh, so we are a third-generation business. Oh. Uh, my grandfather started the business back in 1945. Um, and working in the business currently, we've got my brother and sister, who are both of the third generation. So they're both working in CEO roles and are also directors of, on our board. Um, and my dad is also sits on the board of our directors as, as well. Um, we also have four other family members of the second and third generation, but they both, all of us don't work in the business, um, but we're all also all very busy with our fourth generation, of which we've got 12. Wow. Um, <laughs> a lot of us. Um, but... We like to think that everything that we're doing in our generation now, we're doing it all for our next generation. So we really consider ourselves custodians of our business and not business owners. And you're also a financial advisor on the side yourself? Yeah, so my normal day-to-day -day job is as a financial advisor um, up here in Newcastle. And, yeah, so we've got other people running, other family members and other... Um, non-family members running businesses at the moment. Well, being in the third generation, what, what was it like growing up with a family business? Um, so I guess as little kids, I think we just thought it was completely normal. Mm. So we used to just hang out there. We used to take our friends there, go for rides. We used to play down there a lot. Um, and then we used to just go out and down and help our dad out of work as well. So whether it was just like selling tickets or being the cashier and helping out on the rides, yeah, we just sort of thought it was normal, I guess. As we got a bit older and looking back on it now, though, um, I can see that it was something quite special that we were a part of. Um, our parents and grandparents and the business were always really big contributors to the community, um, and I think that that is definitely followed through into the, into the current generation running the business now as well. So I think that we're all really grateful that we had been a part of that we've all been a part of the business over time and we've all been able to contribute to where the business is today so being being a part of a family business from such a young age i think taught us a lot about how business works and and we're able to also use that in our daily lives now so Mm. Yeah, but it wasn't always good. <laughs> well, there's a very large number of uh, family businesses, and in fact, it makes up a very large percentage of the, of the businesses in Australia. What was the most challenging part of being a, a part of a family business, but not actually working in the business? So, I guess for us and our family, I think some of the biggest challenges have been um, information, um, the communication, and the and the emotions that we've all had. Because once you're family in business there's always emotion that's, mm, that's there. Mm. so um so for us who all we all grew up there so we all have this really strong emotional connection to the business 
So the family members working in the business, they, they, they're running it, so they're involved all the time and they're able to feel those emotional needs and those connections really easily. But for those of us that don't work in the business, we find that we require more information um, from those working in the business to feel those needs. Mm. So for us, getting, getting that balance between the communication, the type of communication that we needed from the business to feel, to feel those emotional needs has been quite challenging over the time, but we have developed now processes and um, that, that kind of fill all those needs for those of us that aren't in the business. So um, at the moment, we get monthly updates from the CEOs and the chairman of our board also comes to our family meetings every six months as well. So, um, But we've also, a couple of the other challenges um, is the, uh, as us being family members, um, not working in the business, um, having the family recognise the skill sets that we have uh, and allowing us to apply these areas of expertise for the greater family good. Mm. So sometimes sometimes we struggle to recognise the other family members' skill sets and acknowledge that, that we are able to help with stuff for the family business even though we're not actually directly involved mm. with the business. Mm. And then one of the challenges that we're currently working on at, the very, at this very moment is moving from the second gen to the third generation in our corporate structure and then also um, we're trying to set up so that the move from the third generation to the fourth generation is um, is developed as well. So the fourth gen, um, are not they were not all growing up in the business like we did, so we're more geographically spread out yeah. um, with our family. So at the challenges to keeping, if for us is keeping that next generation really engaged and letting them have that emotional connection to the business that we all have as well. So mm. um, when they take over in the future, they can really understand the history and the values and the visions that we've had so that then they can help make the right decisions for, for their generation when, when they get up to running the business at some point, hopefully. Is there any part of the uh, journey that you'd do differently if you had a chance? No, I, I really think that we, we changed and evolved our business over time as we needed it. We, we recognised with the help of our advisors the changes and challenges that we were coming across and then we would put, in a, then we would put a plan in place, place to address them. So these changes were not always met without challenges from the family, but um, with the help of our advisors, we were able to identify these and manage them. And so Mm. um, working with these key people were were really um, quite critical in in managing those things as well for our family. So, yeah, I don't don't really think we would change anything, and we're now able to use those experiences to... um, to set everything up for that next generation as well. So, so do you have any advice for others living in a family business? Um, I think some of the biggest things is um, anyone involved in a family business understands that it's a very unique sector and that it always comes with challenges unlike any sort of normal company that you're working with. So I think really for us, having a good team of external advisors who have expertise in family businesses, um, they really understand the uniqueness around what it means to be a family in business and those unique dynamics that come with that. Uh, because once you're involved in family, it often becomes very personal rather than business. Yeah, and the yeah. advisors are there to help you navigate these cha- these challenges. So I think being on both sides now as a financial, uh, financial advisor, I can really see... Um, the benefit and, and how they can be those external advisors are really quite critical so mm. um, and 
then also I think belonging to um, associations where there's really like-minded people. I think um, often you think you're the only one going through something um, in a family business. You're the only like you're the only one who's ever experienced this particular situation. And though every every situation is unique, um, like being part of a network where you're able to find someone else that has been there or gone through the same thing. Um, can really help you through those challenging times because often mm. you can't talk to mm. your business partners because they might be family and mm. you don't want to yeah. talk to those people. So, right. um, yeah, and I just think really good communication is is very key. Great. Well, thanks very much for your advice today, Lydia. We might have a chat with you again another time. Okay. Thank you very much, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Lydia Blackmore there with uh, some advice for people that are in a family business, but, uh, well, sorry, growing, living with a family business, but not necessarily with the hands-on time to have a chat over with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And we're going to talk about some innovative products. I'm, I'm very intrigued with a couple of them there. So yeah. um, the, the Keep It Cup. Yeah, so it's actually a, um, a Frank Green cup. And what they've done, so we're always talking about what's the next step. What What's the next idea in business development? How do you extend your product? How do you keep your people interested in, in what you're offering? And Frank Green have got um, a, a, a cup that a reusable cup, but what they've actually done now is that they've put um, a, a chip on the bottom of it so that people can make secure cashless payments. So anywhere where you see a, a Visa pay wave sign, you can make a purchase up to $50 uh, um, just by swiping your cup. So how convenient is that? You've got your takeaway cup, you've got um, a, a swipe, you, you keep refilling, recharging the amount of money uh, that's carried on the, on the chip. Uh, and you can just take your keeper cup to the cafe shop and swipe, and you've got you've got your payment already made. So I thought that was a really nice iteration. And then we've been talking about things like dematerialisation. You know, how do you how do things become um, smaller, and how do we take less with us? How's mm. that? You don't even need to take your wallet with you to go mm. and buy a cup of coffee, so or tea or whatever it is that you want to buy. So I thought that was quite a nice example of what's the next iteration of the product. Um, another, give, another gives a whole new meaning to a chip in your cup, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, I really like that. I think that's <laughs> marketable. I think we should let, let Frank Green know about that one. Um, so the next thing uh, that I thought we might talk about is, you know, there's been stories around 3D printed homes, 3D mm. printed offices and things like that. But again, there's an organisation called 3dhome.org um, and they've actually created a 3D printed home that sells for around 4,000 um, American dollars. And it was created especially for, develop, for the developing world countries. Uh, it's out of Austin, Texas, and it's an, a non-profit working organization. They want to have a, a, they want to create a world where there's no people who are, have to be in survival mode and don't have any shelter. So what they've done is they've constructed this 3D home at an amazingly affordable price when you think about the price of a home uh, and they've and it's a bit customizable as well but they can build you a home in 24 hours and what they're looking is to take that into the third world countries there's places that are that are sponsoring um, organizations that are putting money into solving homeless issues uh, and that's what they've done so they've created this you know, through necessity, through their their social bottom line, they've created a home that you can actually build for around four thousand um, US dollars. Mm. That is three D printable in twenty four hours. I mean, had you said that ten years ago, how amazing would that have sounded? How 
sci-fi would that have sounded, but today it's a reality. I'm still a bit challenged with that because I've only seen small 3D printers. Are there really large ones? Do they produce uh, the, uh, the panels or something like that? Is that sure, what they're producing? Uh, yep, they're, they're produ- and the thing is that the 3D printers don't have to be that big. You know, they're probably as big as, uh, oh, I'm not very good at this, um, maybe, maybe three times what your printer is, mm. some of them. I've actually seen 3D printed parts that go on, on space shuttles um, that are made out of heavy-duty materials that can withstand heat. So, you know, we're, what we are 3D printing is quite remarkable. Um, there's a group called Make It, Make it in Space mm. who have created 3D printers that are small enough to go into space shuttles that can basically print anything that you might need and what they're looking at so they can even reprint parts of the printer. So they're looking at taking a 3D printer into space and printing another printer and then creating whole even space stations. So, mm, you know, mm. the, the work that's going on in that area is quite remarkable. Um, mm. And in organs, what they're doing with organs in 3D printing is quite remarkable as well. Yeah, I, um, I believe, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but I believe on Catalyst the other night there was something on bionics and uh, they were 3D printing hands um, for very, very cheap prices. So. Yeah, and, prob- and they don't, because the hands actually don't need to be um, totally... Uh, built for like to fit on you so there, there can be margins of error in that as well but what they're working on that is really remarkable um, is they're 3D printing a heart they've 3D printed hearts actually and mm. um, what they're doing now is they're working on the materials that are used to 3D print that heart because they can only so far what they've done is the, the hearts that they've printed pump for about half an hour before they wear out mm. so what they're looking at is is creating a 3D printed heart that can, you know, that will last long term. And, and what they need to do in order to do that is refine the material that it's made out of. of so absolutely remarkable things happening in the medical space with 3D printing. And our last product, an electric motorbike. Oh, we have, yes. Yeah. So interesting. We're, again, talking about business development. Harley-Davidson um, have have had a bit of a, a ditch in their sales, you know, kind of a... Uh, I think what I was reading was around a 22, 23% um, dip in sales. It's not a dip in profit, but dip in sales. So what they've gone is, okay, well, what's happening in the rest of the world? How do we need to keep up? How do we rejig our products so that, you know, um, the product, we're keeping up with demand? And what they're doing is they're um, actually committed to 3D, or sorry, not 3D, I've got 3D on the brain, um, is electric now looking at electric motorbikes. Okay. So And they're lightweight. So the whole thing is, um, the heaviness, I don't know if you've ever ridden a Harley, I certainly mm. haven't, uh, but they're, apparently they're quite heavy. And these are lightweight urban bikes and they're looking at um, producing about five electric models uh, that will go with the whole, you know, how are we going to get around cities? Energy. So they're calling them, you know, lightweight urban bikes. Mm, great. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time again, Christina. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. See you then. Talk thank, to you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Garakaitis there with some innovative products and yes, they're interesting, isn't they? Wonder where it will end. We'll keep on going. Time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one, to get candid feedback, ask for it. Getting honest, useful feedback is the fastest route to better performance. But people are sometimes too nice to share the full picture or too intimidated to be fully truthful. You need to be clear that you want honest feedback. If you say, don't be nice, be helpful, people will be less likely to hold back. Instead of asking what you did wrong, ask what you could do better going forward. Try not to judge any feedback you receive, whether it's positive or negative. Just thank people for being honest with you and let them know that you find their observation and opinion helpful. 
try to write down what they say. A little silence communicates that you're taking feedback seriously and it keeps people time to think about what else they might add. And don't just ask once, give people multiple opportunities to give you feedback. So whether we like that feedback or not, sometimes we just have to have it, don't we? It helps us to improve our performance. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at what it means for people to be in a family business but not actually be in the business but living with the business and some of those new innovative products. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll visit the tax world again with Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business the law in you at the same time next week until then have an exciting and prosperous week and as oprah winfrey once said there is no such thing as failure failure is just life trying to move us in another direction thanks for listening to this podcast from 2nurfm at the university of newcastle topics range from gardening to health well-being pet care finance business and travel you'll find them all at 2nurfm.com